I got some very interesting feedback from last week's episode. One from um, a young man living in the UK, South African gentleman, um, by the name of Dominic, uh, who was saying that a lot of what I was saying um, worked for him, impacted him, it made him think, um, and he felt happy that he was on the right track. Um, I also heard from um, a gentleman living on the garden route by the name of JP, who was saying that he's also trying to use some of those principles to pull his life together. I want to say to the two gentlemen, you know, it's okay not to know what the plan is for tomorrow. Uh, Just the fact that you don't know what the plan is means that you are actively thinking about what that plan is supposed to be. So, you know, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. But give yourself the opportunity to fail because with in that failure there is a wealth of knowledge as well. Uh, I also want to say thank you for reaching out uh, and for giving some feedback. It's always great to get an idea of whether or not whatever we are saying is actually of use to anyone. So that feedback was great. This week I want to take it a little bit further. I want to talk about crisis planning. Uh, and I want to talk about it using last week as a segue. You know, talking about reinventing yourself is is all good and well, but if you don't have a plan, then you're not reinventing yourself. You're sort of trying to fly a kite with no wind. So I want to talk about the very real, very practical ways um, or steps that you could implement or that you could start off with so that you know that you are on the right track at least. Now, I got to say that, you know, when I was, when I was younger, before I knew all of this stuff, just like anybody else, I thought I was very smart and nobody could teach me anything. You know, learning the basics uh, around crisis management skills has taught me how to minimize or close a lot of the open screens, virtual screens that I have around me. The effects of being overwhelmed when you have a problem can be debilitating. Uh, You hear something, you hear terrible news. It could be that you've lost your job. It could be that um, there's been a death in the family. It could be that um, you're going through a divorce. Your kid has run off. Whatever it is, um, the effects of that initial, you get that initial information overload, sensory overload, emotional attack on your sense of logic, and you are unable to make sound decisions in that moment. Uh, And because it is debilitating, it makes it very difficult for you to plot a course through the mayhem through the chaos. Uh, I spoke last week, I spoke about pivoting on your heel, um, redirecting yourself towards focus in the moment. Uh, this is the same thing. There's no real difference um, around it. Before I was trained to possess that certain courage under fire, you know, the, the way to to focus, you know, my focus would be split. It would lead to discomfort for me. So I was taught how to manage my emotions, how to um, resign myself to a sense of logic so that I could 
identify what the root cause of the problem was and then to attack the problem. You can't teach any policeman, doctor, soldier, um, operator how to fix problems if you don't teach them how to identify the root cause. Otherwise, you're always just going to be firing shells or firing artillery barrage at the symptom rather than the problem. That's ineffective. And earlier on, I mentioned that learning the basic crisis management skills taught me how to close my screens. I look at this problem from the perspective of um, I have these virtual screens over. I don't know how many of you watched Ready Player One, but it sort of floats in my head where you've got the, the VR glasses on and you have all these different screens open and you can you can play these various different scenarios. So, so problems present itself very much like that. And you have multiple screens open every single day. From the thing that your wife said that you mustn't forget to pick up from the shop to the thing that you wanted to do at work to the thing that you forgot where you put it and you, you've got an idea of where to look but you don't want to forget that you know where to look um, to having to pick the kid up at this time and the other kid needs to be collected for swimming at that time. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on. So you have all these screens open. When you have a problem, those screens that are open, when you have a crisis, those screens that are open, they conflict with what is most important in the moment. And it makes it difficult for you to be able to deal with the problem because you have all these screens open. And having sound decision-making platforms and skills helps you to close those screens. Uh, it helps you to think more clearly. Uh, my wife and I, we always have this discussion about multitasking. I don't fucking believe anybody can multitask. You can do one thing a little bit better than the other. You can't do both things brilliantly. And I believe that if you split your focus from one to the other, you're doing both kind of okay. Right? So I would rather focus my attention on something so that I can fix the problem uh, and do it well rather than saying, well, I fixed both things and, you know, I fixed two tables and both tables only have three legs each. That's not effective. You know, that's, that's, that's ineffective. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that decision-making protocols and how you go about it. And of course, there are a lot of other things that you need to consider. You need to consider the type of person that you are. Are you, are you an alpha male? Are you a beta? Are you a sigma? Um, that comes into play. You know, do you, do you shy away from responsibility? That comes into play. You know, are you, are you a half, a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person? Because even that comes into play. Specifically, crisis decision making. There are a couple of steps that you need to consider. Uh, and some of those steps in the moment when the crisis presents itself defines you. It defines the type of person you are. And people will follow the person who has a plan. In my family, um, in, in, in a lot of the instances, I'm that guy. And in other instances, my wife would be that person. And I would follow her lead when she is, uh, when it, when she's in her element, when she knows what she's talking about. But that's the smart, strong thing that leaders do. You identify who the, the strong person is and you let them take the lead. You allow them to educate you so that you're able to do this um, for yourself next time. 
So the most important thing to do when crisis hits is to become the trusted voice. You know, you, you become the trusted voice by making consistent decisions, you know, designing the rules for how this engagement is going to go, you know, aiming for a, a desired outcome. Saving the family from being destitute looks different. There are different outcomes for it. So if, if, if you're going to lose the family home, what is the practicality? Can I save the family home? Because if you can't save the family home, then you must save the family from being destitute. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to save the family home. It means that you need to provide cover for the family. Identifying that and and redirecting your goal, pivoting on your heel in the moment and redirecting your focus to a new goal is key to reaching that success because success in that moment is keeping the family covered. That's all that's important. And once you can get your head around those ideas that there isn't an absolute goal when there's a crisis, when there's a tsunami, when there's uh, blackouts like we experience in South Africa all the time, like there is uh, when there is public violence, which is also something that is seasonal in, seasonal in South Africa. Once you realize that there isn't an ultimate solution, the, the, the ultimate goal is to survive and to get home alive, to provide food, shelter, clothing, and warmth um, to meet the requirements of those 12 jewels of life for humanity, for your family. Once you've redirected yourself towards that goal, that aim, now you're talking about being solution-driven as opposed to looking at how big your failure is. You have to respond with the facts only. You've got to leave the emotion out of it, all right? Uh, I'm reminded years ago of a friend who um, gave me a call and said he needed some help um, in um, rural Kamatipur. Um, there was a lot of uh, attacks on farms taking place. One of the farms that we had gone to was going to be attacked that evening. We could see the dust trails in the distance. We were about two and a half hours away from the closest help. And in that moment, we designed solutions. Bring your workers closer to the house inside. Um, or if they're going to hit the house, then keep your workers away from the house. We need to fortify the house. What is the decision that we need to make? And we need to make hard decisions. And we need to make it quickly. Um, if somebody is 30 minutes away, we can't get them. They will have to fend for themselves. But they are 30 minutes away, which means they are not part of the, the immediate uh, concern for us. And this friend of mine was like, how can you make decisions like that? Well, you have to. I have to design the best win that I can. Otherwise, I have to sacrifice everyone here so that we can save somebody who most likely is going to be fine because the attackers are concentrating on the main house. They're not concentrating on what is 30 minutes away. Give the crisis your full attention. You drop everything else. You redesign your, 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 your frame of mind so that the one thing that is foremost in your head is this crisis that has presented itself. And you find ways, invariably, to make sure that you strike at the cause rather than the symptom. So give it your full attention. So don't get distracted. 
Don't become bogged down by assigning blame whose whose fault it is, who who is the person who caused this problem. That's not important because that doesn't get you out of the mess that you're in at that moment. And above all, when the whole thing is over, you have to review your decisions. Did you make the right decisions in the moment? Did you act decisively? And if you didn't act decisively, why didn't you act decisively? What stopped you? And these things will help you build your plan for the next time. Because without a doubt, there will be a next time. If you're smart about this, if you think about this, you're going to design a response plan. You know, Once you have a plan, you need to execute, execute, execute. Design your plan, taking into account all scenarios, all unintended consequences, all fallout. And when you can commit to the plan that you're most comfortable with, execute that plan. You need to document facts right from the get-go. We used to call it um, in the moment when something went wrong and you needed to put your response plan in place um we had a go phrase which was notify 300 people and everybody knew exactly what to do everybody knew where to collapse back onto everybody knew what the rendezvous point would be everybody knew what kind of kit and equipment we would have to prepare ourselves because that particular plan with that particular phrase could only mean one thing so Document your facts. Make sure that you have all the facts on hand. Um, if 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 it's something that requires you to stay on top of the information all the time, then designate somebody to be sitting and watching the news. And you got to watch it from two different places. You have to watch it from social media and you have to watch it from traditional media. And once you have the information from social and from traditional, you need to take logic and reason and then you need to combine it and you need to find out what is relevant, what makes sense, and what doesn't make sense. You'll find sometimes the thing that seems the most ob, the most out of place, sometimes becomes the thing that you most need to pay attention to. Be analytical. Be absolutely analytical and deductive in the way that you apply your reasoning. And you need to do this incrementally as you allow for adjustment, as the information becomes actionable or relevant, uh, especially, especially for critical decisions. Now, sometimes you get information and you can't do anything with that information at that point in time, I, either because um, of distance or because of relevance to the, to the situation in the moment. That information is not actionable. You can't do anything with it. So you need to put that information um, on the blue board for now. And you need to only focus on the information that is actionable. The stuff that you can actually control. The stuff you can, can actually do. That's actionable information. Develop a holding doctrine. So a holding doctrine is something that allows for a reset position. In other words, as the crisis progresses or, or there's a de-escalation, you mark little bookmarks. And in these bookmarks, 
These are points where you will allow everybody to know, right, we're at this point in the game. Everything that happened prior to this, we don't need to pay attention to that anymore because we are at, um, we are, let's say, we are at position hunter. That's our position. Position hunter could be um, um, you have a death in the family and you have a process that you need to follow. For example, you need to call the insurance company. You need to get the uh, notification from the doctor. The doc That letter will have to go to the um, uh, the funeral director so that the body can be claimed, for example. So each step in that process is, okay, you're a position hunter. You've spoken to the doctor. He's going to fill in the document and he's going to make sure that um, he leaves it with at the nurse's station and you can then pick it up and take it to the funeral director. Once you've got that document, you don't need to bother with it anymore. Position hunter is no longer important. However, if something goes wrong, you can collapse back to position hunter and everybody knows what that position is. We haven't had, we don't have that piece of information. We don't have that document yet. So, we need to move back to that position so that we can finalize that point. It's also important to have these little bookmarks because sometimes multiple arrangements in crisis management takes place and multiple people will be working on multiple things simultaneously. So you have to collapse back on one or two things, but the rest of the of the planning can go ahead because you know where you're sitting in that process. All they're waiting for, for is for you to come back to say, right, we've passed position hunter, it's done. Understand the size of the crisis and consider the incidental fallouts. In other words, be aware of just how big the crisis is. If you reacting as if somebody kicked um, a football through your uh, window and broke the glass, but you should be talking about um, a hurricane just ripped off the roof, then there is a disconnect between you and the problem. And it could be a signal that you might not be the best person to deal with that particular problem. It might have to be someone else. So understand the size of the problem so that you can consider the incidental fallouts and it could be relevant to your planning. Um, progression management is extremely important. Progression management is important because without progression management, you cannot design a wind-down process. As the crisis becomes averted and as you're moving more and more into a phase where you no longer have to run down the hill at 100 kilometers an hour, you can actually apply the brakes and move slower so that your decisions and your and your actions are more calculated. You have to have... Um, progression management otherwise you'll burn out before you're able to solve the problem or you'll start to make erratic decisions most importantly put people first always in the decision of it put the people first this is a classic failure um, in a business sense it's a classic failure because most business owners don't put people first they put the money first they put this thing that they had built first, but they don't realize that this thing that they had built will not exist without the people. So remember to put the people first. Put your family first. 
Put the innocent bystander first. Put the people who are struggling on the side of the road with um, with no fuel, but there's a mob coming down the road and they are fixing to move through a, a particular area like a, like a swarm of locusts. Put the people first. Make sure that that is your driving motivation. Make all your moves deliberate. All right? Um, don't be second-guessing yourself. When you make a decision, make sure that you've, you've looked at all of the angles, you've, you've looked at uh, progression management, you've gone through um, a decision-making and identification process, and you've done that consistently. So now you know that you can make a decision and you can make it deliberately. Do that. It's the quickest way to come to an outcome where you can be comfortable and happy with the results of your work. And keep everyone in the loop. Make sure that everyone knows exactly what you're doing, at what stage you are in the solving of the problem. You can't go through this process on your own. Once you've assembled a team, you've been able to delegate different duties, keep them in the loop. Okay? Now, you you would probably wonder how you would know when you are in crisis. Well, there's a, a style of, of crisis management, which is the primary form of crisis management um, that we all do every day. It's called the OODA loop, which um, it's an acronym for observe, orient, uh, decide, and act. So firstly, you observe and you're looking for where the problem is. What kind of problem is it? You're identifying the problem. Once you've realized what the problem is, you can orientate yourself towards that problem. So you're focusing on that particular problem now. It's got your full attention. You're placing bookmarks. You're designing outcomes. You're putting a plan together. You're collating all the information, finding out what's relevant. Then you decide what you're going to do. Again, there's a couple of things that come into play. Do I run or do I stay and fight? In other words, do I leave or do I stay and fix the problem? Because no one else will. Am I going to Isaiah 6 8 it? Or am I going to bolt? So, if you decide to stay, then you need to act, which is the last in the acronym. And then action must be deliberate, it must be guided, it must be focused, it must be, and usually it will be, a pivot from what you were doing previously, redirecting your focus in the moment. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to say about... Um, crises and problems every problem has a beginning sometimes you miss it it's so small every problem has a beginning every single problem that i've had to deal with has had a beginning you know if it was with my kids um if it was um in my previous marriage it all had a problem and this is one of those things where you can say um Hindsight isn't 2020. 
um, in the moment when the problem presents itself, you're not fucking paying attention. And because you're not paying attention, this thing mutates. It's like milk on a stove and it's boiling over the side. And all you're doing is you're wiping the milk up off the sides, but you're not dealing with the heat. So every problem has a, pro- has a, has a beginning. And if left unattended, it will reach critical mass. It will boil over. Or it will lose relevance. Most of the time I find you end up with a fucking burnt pot that used to have milk in it. And most people don't want to deal with problems because they think if they deny its existence, if they don't interact with the problem, then they will, it'll probably just go away. But it doesn't. You see, the problem requires you to make a decision. And in that decision, what happens is the decision gets made for you. Which means that you were stripped from your agency and you couldn't fix the problem. One of the biggest uh, afflictions that men suffer in this day and age is the fear of confrontation. They fear it. They are afraid to deal with anything. If I have to hear one more man say, say, you know, I just want to get along with everyone, it's not fucking possible to get along with everyone, buddy. You can't. Get along with everyone. Because there are assholes out there, and sometimes those assholes won't allow you to get along with them. Someone will say something that will rub you the wrong way, and you'll just walk away and you won't say anything. No, that's not how life works. You have to confront whatever the issues are. If you are not speaking to your kids, you don't have a good relationship with your kids, that's on you because you haven't confronted that issue. If you sort of wriggle around in your chair when your grandkids come around and they are nagging to play video games or, you know, have a cell phone in their hand while they're coming to visit grandma and grandpa or, you know, you're just at a friend's house and experiencing experiencing that with, with your kids, um, that's on you because you haven't fucking dealt with the problem. You can't also deal with the problem when you are there. You need to deal with the problem when no one's looking. When you're in your own space so that you can be consistent. So the fear of confrontation is is a huge problem today. You know, we are unable to engage in difficult situations. Unable to engage in crises as a daily skill. That's an absolute fucking skill that you must have. You must have it. And the only consequence of a fear of confrontation is anger and violence. And that is not doing something. That is a reaction. It's a natural and immature reaction. Because it is, you're being led by your emotions. And usually what is followed from that is a sense of emasculation. Seriously. Honestly, that's just like you fucking did that all to yourself. So in in dealing with crises, my advice is 
Don't be afraid to make a decision. Don't be afraid to take charge of the situation. Be your family's first responder. In doing so, you will be honing a valuable skill. It is a skill that you as a man need to have. And although society would say to you that um, women can do things for themselves and so on and so on, you're still expected to perform that skill regardless of what society says. And I'm not talking about woke society, I'm talking about society as a whole. Um, besides woke is a fucking a black experience word that was hijacked from the 1920s. I don't know what the fuck this woke is that everybody's talking about. Uh, that's a whole side conversation. Um, what I meant to say was that in society, although you are expected to be progressive, people still expect you to act in a particular way. Deliberate and decisive. So make those decisions. And understand the environment that you find yourself in every single day. Be aware. Be aware at the traffic light. Be aware of the body language of the person that you speak to, the colleague that you're talking to. Be aware of the person who's asking you for the time on the street. Be aware of the person that's standing behind you in, in, in line. Be aware of everything. You'll be so surprised at how many things you pick up by just paying attention. Because if you can pay attention, then you can stay left of bang. Bang being the problem. The problem has arrived. The problem is, has occurred. You need to stay left of it. You need to remain unbanged. I find more and more every day exercising these skills, particularly in crisis management, it has given me um, such a fulfilling professional career uh, and it has given me such a successful family life. I can't see how it can't work for anyone else. So apply those those little nuggets, those little rules. You know, um, one of the things that I think is very important is to find yourself in communities with other people where you can talk about exercising these rules. We can talk about developing these skills. They are absolutely important more now than ever before. Because it's skills that you have to teach your kids. You have to teach it to your daughters. They need to be observant and aware. They need to be able to deal with crises. Because when they're out on their own and the boyfriend that's supposed to protect them gets into a fight because he is having an emotional immature reaction because of his fear of confrontation, she needs to take the rein because she needs to get them home. At the very least, she needs to get herself home. Same thing goes for your son. If his friends are destructive, he needs to be the one to design the outcome. When you're not home, your family need to be able to deal with crises in this way. This is not something that should be taught purely just to men. This is something that should be taught to our women as well. They should have the skill also. If we have the skill, if we all operate using the skill every day, 
when they have such a fantastic world to live in. And I promise you, we won't have fucking road rage. We won't have in self-entitled people. You know, you'll you'll have a lot less narcissists. You know, if you if you manage crises and have a plan and how to deal with it, um, it cancels out a lot of stuff. Um, I heard a speech the other day by um, someone. I don't want to mention who it is, but he was saying that you know, social media has created a problem where we are unable to identify or keep narcissists or keep crises or keep problems at bay because over the internet people can say whatever the fuck they want to and there's no consequences. Whereas in the real world you get punched in the mouth. It's true. And because for that very reason, because of that, you need to develop the skill. Like a black plague, I'm crazy confusion like a Hezbollah raid. Guns and-